ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Guide and lead us. Show us how you would like us to see your word and what you want us to learn. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah has been telling the people they're going to be going into captivity. He went to the potter's house telling them that God has the right to do what he wants to. And continuing there going forward and he says that they're going to be uh, condemned and going to captivity. And so now we're going to look at how the people react to that message. So, uh, Jeremiah 18, verse 18. Then said they, Come and let us devise devices against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us smite him with the, with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. Give heed to me, O Lord, and hearken unto the voice of, of them that contend with me. Shall evil they have dug a pit for my soul? Remember that I stood before you to speak good for them and to turn away your wrath from them. Therefore deliver up your children to famine and pour out their blood by the force of the sword and let their wives be bereaved of their children and be widows and let their men be put to death. Let their young men be slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from, from their houses when you shall bear, bring a troop suddenly upon them for they have dug a pit to take me and hid snares for my feet. Yet, Lord, you know all their counsels against me to slay me. Forgive not their iniquity, neither blot out their sin from, their, from your sight, but let them be overthrown before you deal thus with them in the time of your anger. All right. So Jeremiah has been preaching all these things. You know, and you've got to think about this. They're at a time when they're going to go into captivity. Everything's starting to look bleak. And all of a sudden, this prophet is saying there's no hope. All right. There's no hope. You're going into captivity. You're going to be destroyed. All right. Now he's called them to repentance, so there is a hope. But what did they hear? They're not hearing repent and have hope. They're hearing this guy is all nothing but bad coming our way. You know, who, who wants to have anything to do with him? All right. And it's kind of what's going on even in our country now. We're hearing so many people saying, and I've done it myself, without revival, there is no hope for our country. We're going to fall. And... People will ignore the without revival and all they will hear is there is no hope for our country. This is what they were hearing from Jeremiah, hearing Jeremiah say. He kept saying, repent, repent. And all they would hear is God is bringing judgment. And they started getting tired of hearing his statements of judgment. So what do they go? And they go, come, let us devise devices against Jeremiah. Let's make plans for the harm of Jeremiah. Now, how would you like the, the, the leaders and all these people to come against you and say, we're going to focus everything we have against this person? Why? Because he was seemingly the only prophet speaking for God and amongst all these people that were saying, oh, God's going God's, God's to bless us. God's going to keep us. We have the temple here. We have... We have the holy city that God will never let anything bad happen to us. And this is the same thing that's happening in our world with the divide between the remnant church that preaches God's word and all the feel-good churches that are trying to make everybody, oh, you know, God is, God is all love and he's going 
going to keep you and you're going to be good and nothing, nothing bad happen because God loves us and you know all people go to heaven it doesn't it does, you know you don't have to believe in Jesus and all the things that they tell you and the remnant speaks out and says no this is not true Jeremiah is the remnant preacher now he's not the only one out there because God always has a remnant but he's the only one he's the focus he's the he's the one that is speaking boldly he goes to the king and preaches what God says to preach and so he's their focus and they're looking at him and saying you know who are, you know who is this what you know why are you saying these things you know, Sunday we looked at uh, excuse me, last night we looked at Jesus cleansing the temple you know that went over real well with the the priest and the, all of them like who whose authority are you doing this they went to John the Baptist and said whose authority are you baptizing for you know we did not give you permission and we are we are God's representatives and we didn't tell you to, you could do this stuff and this is what but they're coming back on Jeremiah because he's going to face the priest and the Levites as well because he's basically attacking them. What you're teaching is not right. You are not teaching God's word. And so they're coming back at him and saying, you know, this whole process, and he's going, for the law shall not perish from the priest. The priest's job, besides offering sacrifices, was to teach the law of God. Now, the only problem was, even as they were doing in Jesus' day, the priest did not teach the law of God so much as taught man's interpretation of the law of God. Now, if you ever looked at the Jewish, Jewish uh, setup, you know, they've identified 613 laws in the scripture, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that they found that many laws. I'm kind of nitpicky probably, but I, I can believe they found that many laws. But then they have entire books that define each one of those laws with a whole bunch of man-made laws on top of them. So you have the Bible that's about this big and then they got a book like this that tells you how to interpret all those laws. So the 612 or 13 laws, those are from God? I thought those were all the ones that... They're the ones that they identify in the scriptures. Oh, I thought that was all including their own one. That does include the ones that they've added on top of everything. Those are the ones they can point to you and say, this verse, this verse, this verse, this verse, this verse, and this verse. We could obey that many <laughs> The law was always designed to reveal to us that we needed God and a Savior and a sacrifice that was going to be perfect to redeem us. So God never intended the law to be what the, I want to be careful, to, to save us and redeem us. He knew that the law would reveal that we could not keep the law. Because we are fallen individuals and there's no way, you know, and I've said this many times, you know, I don't even have to look at the 613 laws. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments. So there's no way we can keep them, much less trying to keep the other 603 laws on top of the Ten, you know, ten Commandments. Did, did Adam have the law? Um, he had a relationship with God, so he had, he had the same, same relationship thing. we do. The, the moral law of God is based upon God. Okay, remember, all of the laws of God come from his character. So if we're in a relationship with God, we will keep the law of God because we're trying to be like him and in his character, we will be obedient. If we're in the character of God, we will not lie. We will not try to cause harm. We not, will not steal from others. We will not. So no, he did not have the law as we know it, but because he was in a relationship with the character of God, he had the law. But it was under liberty, just as we are. We are under the liberty, and the more we get to know God, the more we want to be like him, the more we will keep 
his law because that is his law is based in who he is. And if you remember the Truth Project, Del Tackett said, you know, did God's laws come capriciously or did they have reason? Well, what does capricious mean? Was he sitting there flipping a coin and saying, stealing is good or bad? Let's see what let's see what the what the coin comes up. No. He goes, stealing is wrong because God says property belongs to people and he is not gonna we can't take it away from somebody. Well, so, so then did the law like originate after they ate the fruit? You know, did it kind of like, you know, was when they sinned and they fell, they ate the fruit, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So the law would have been like initiated then, even though it wasn't like the Ten Commandments. The law, the law officially wasn't given until Mount Sinai. But as I said, they knew the character of God. They knew right and wrong. They knew moral, and what is right and wrong. And this is the thing that's going on in our world right now. We've thrown God completely out. And who is the master of what is right and wrong is fallen man. And what do we decide? You know, what does fallen man decide is right and wrong? Whatever makes them feel good. Whatever makes me feel good and makes me feel like I'm getting an advantage over everybody else. And as long as I, as long as I feel good, it's okay, is our law. But God is saying no. I am number one, and I have these things that are that are right and wrong based in His character. Yeah, because like when Cain killed Abel, it didn't just like God didn't just oh okay you know whatever. They knew it was wrong. Yeah. Okay. Why? Because they understand that life came from God, and to kill a human being was to take something precious that God had created. Now there wasn't a law that said thou shalt not kill, but they looked and said. God created mankind, God gave life, therefore it is wrong to take that life. The law of God is based in his character. And that's why we as Christians can live in liberty because God is living in us and his character will start coming out of us. And because his character is coming out of us, then we will be obedient to his law and be able to live the way he wants to, wants us to live. Uh, now, we'll never be perfect because none of us get that close to God so that we're 100% perfect to see only his character coming out of us. And I'm not sure that we would be safe if we did. Jeremiah is not safe. He's preaching God's message, and they don't like him. Jesus, the only perfect person who's walked on this world, was hated by the religious people and put on the cross because of his perfection. So being perfect is not all that we want to do. I mean, yes, it is great for God, you know, relationship with God, but relationship with man, all it does is draw out the evil and the upset from the people. And we've all seen this. If you, you know, we'll hear it if you're in a family get together and going, well, you think you're better than all of us. You think you're self-righteous. You think, you think this, you think that. No, I'm just living for God. I'm not, I'm not even judging you. But the conviction they feel from God for their sin gets aimed at us. And we don't even have to say a word. We're just not joining them in what they're doing. And they will say, quit judging me. You're, you're, you're making me mad. I didn't say a word to you. I didn't, I, didn't say, I didn't say anything about what you were doing. But the conviction of God steps in. These people, in this case, Jeremiah was not being quiet, obviously, but the conviction they were feeling is now aimed at Jeremiah as the one who is bringing in 
the problems. And we see this over and over. And it's an amazing thing that when you walk into a place with the spirit of God in you, that spirit radiates out to people and they know that there's something different. They may not be able to identify it. They may not fully understand it, but you, we as Christians bring God into every situation that we deal with. And the more we're walking with him, the more we're, we're fellowshipping with him, the more of his spirit will be, be revealed and shine out of us. And the more people are going to be angry at us for just being in their presence. Yeah, and I've seen it. I've seen people get upset. I didn't say a word, and they get upset. You know, because the light is coming out and shining on their sin, and then their conscience kicks in that's been buried for a while in the darkness, and their conscience witnesses that they're doing wrong, and it's all your fault because you, you brought God's spirit in. And you don't even know what you did. You just stepped in. You just brought God into the situation. And they end up being very angry. Going back to Cain and Abel, what was the big deal? Cain offered his works, the works of his hands. Abel brought the right sacrifice. God rejected Cain's. And, and there's no record of Cain, you know, Abel ever saying, well, I told you you should have done this or irritating him. It's just the sin was revealed and Cain reacted in a way that brought judgment upon him. And in this case, murder. But we see this over and over in the scripture. Somebody comes in with just the spirit of God and that light. Because Jesus said, we are a light. All right, so we bring God into every situation and people get irritated because they don't like the light. And we don't, and then, then if we really go crazy, we actually say something spiritual. Oh, man, that really sets them off. I mean, it's bad enough that we don't act like they do and participate in the things that they do. But if we start talking about God, oh, man, that is really, really going to set them off because now we're bringing in even more light. We're, we're unshuttering light, and you know, they're not even just seeing the reflected glory. They're seeing the glory. When Moses came off the mountain after 40 days with God, he had been in God's presence, and, his, and they said in the scripture that his face shone. Now, he literally revealed God in a very physical way. And so we have all of this going on that God brings his presence into things when we come in. And we see it here in Jeremiah. We see it with Daniel. You know, we see it with Joseph. We see it all through the scriptures and Jesus himself. When God's presence comes into a situation, the world reacts. And this is something we need to expect. If we're going to follow God and we live for him, the world, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers are going to react and say, There's, you know, I don't like you being around you. you know, you're judging me. Well, I didn't say anything. I, still feel, I feel the judgment. You know, I feel you judging me just because you won't do what I want. I feel you judging me. You know, and that's the kind of things we get. And it's not us that's bringing that judgment. It is the Holy Spirit working on them. And their conscience has been pricked by that light and kicks up for a few minutes and lets them know that what they're doing is wrong. And they don't like that reminder. 
The world likes darkness. They don't like to be reminded in Jeremiah is bringing light into their situation. Now they think they're okay. You know, hey, well, I'm just doing what everybody else does. We're worshiping the idols on the corner and we're giving sacrifices and we're working on the Sabbath day and we're doing everything that we want to do, whatever makes us feel good and gets us money, we're going to do. And Jeremiah comes in and says, God says it's wrong. And they're going, well, we, we got to get rid of this guy. We have got to get rid of them because of the light that he's bringing in. Now, they weren't that practical on it. And they're going, we're going to devise things because the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Now, the prophets they're talking about are not Jeremiah. Jeremiah is giving them a word from God. He's being a true prophet. But we're going to see in various places, false prophets come against Jeremiah all over this book and, and tell him that he is the false prophet. It's kind of interesting that the false prophets are telling the real prophet that he's the false prophet. Why? Because that's just the way they think. The world accuses everybody of doing what they are. You know, and if you think about this, if somebody is a, a habitual liar, what's the first thing they will tell you? Everybody lies. You know, they're a thief. Everybody steals. I've heard it over and over in my life. No, not everybody's a liar. Not everybody's a, a thief. You know, and you know, I've actually told some of them, go, this tells me a lot about you. They don't like that either. Because it really is, you know, it is the way the lost world responds without being subject to Christ. It's easier to attack the person who's making you feel bad than to admit that, you, that they might be right. And this is the sad thing that's happening in our world today. There's, you know, we're in a world right now where you cannot really share anything that's contrary to what they believe without being attacked. And I hear it all the time. I'm, I'm very conservative in my beliefs. And every time I listen to a conservative talk show, I, wanna, I basically turn it off because those guys are attacking people rather than making good arguments. And it's like, you've got the argument on your side. Why are you name-calling and attacking people? And th when you do that stuff, you're showing that your argument is not strong. And we need to be careful. This is what the world does. They attack the individual rather than their belief and we need to be very careful let's just give out the truth and you know this is so important for us do we know the truth number one and can we expound upon the truth and this is the important thing for us Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except by me and what happens if you give that message oh you guys are so narrow what about all the people that don't know Jesus what about what about all the other possible religions out there? You're saying they're all wrong? I go, no, Jesus said they were all wrong. You know, and because he said it, I'm going to believe it. And I know that it is. Why? Because a relationship with Jesus is different from every other religion. You know, a relationship with Jesus is not a bunch of rules to follow. It's not, it's not him dumping 613 rules on me and saying, obey every one of these rules if you want to get to heaven. He's saying, I died for your sins and let's get into relationship with you and I will change you from the inside out. And it's a wonderful difference. And this is so important for it. And these people are saying, you know, we're going to take, we, we're, we're hearing the prophets, we're hearing the, the priests, we're hearing the teaching and Jeremiah is not teaching what everybody else is teaching. So therefore, Jeremiah must be wrong. Now, this is very interesting. 
Now, I am very thankful that I live in the United States, or have been thankful that I live in the United States. But the United States is basically, basically built upon the majority is right. You know what I find in the Bible? Very rarely is the majority, if ever, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head or even through some studying, that the majority has been right in the Bible. God's remnant is what's right. And we live in a country where the majority rules and the majority has been decoupling themselves from God's word, so the majority is getting worse and worse, and we're seeing the results of it in our country. Yeah, and this is the thing that I keep telling people over and over. I'm going to stand with God, which is going to make me in the minority, always. But I'm going to be right, standing with God. The majority is going to be wrong. And look where our country is headed in all of its sins that is going on. Homosexuality, fornication, transgenderism, uh, uh, might makes right. You know, all the stuff that they're doing right now that is going on and you're going, we need to get back to God and start getting back to what God says and hold on to his truth. And we need to be very careful. And our founding fathers understood this whole process that, that the democracies did not work because they knew, they knew the nature of man. They understood that men were sinners at their heart and would always do what is wrong or, or what is best for them, which would be wrong because it doesn't lay down their life that God asked them to lay down. So they understood this. They understood that a republic was not going to work in the long run. They understood democracies never worked. And we need to understand, we, don't, we do not live in a democracy. A democracy is where everybody votes on every deci decision. We, vote, we live in a republic where we vote for people to represent us. But they understood that republics could not work outside of being tamed by God's word. And we're now no longer tamed by God's word as a nation. And because of that, we have people attacking those who are standing forward with God because we bring light into the situation and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. All right, and that bothers them. And they do just what their people are going to do to, Jer to Jeremiah. The last part of that verse says, Come, let us smite him with, with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. So we're going to argue with everything he says, drastically, call him names, be arguing with him, and we're not going to listen to him. The only problem is he's speaking for God, so what are they really saying? We're not listening to God. They don't recognize it because they, they're going back and say, hey, we're listening to the priests, we're listening to the prophets, the, the false prophets, but we're listening to all these guys here in the temple, and we're gonna, they're all saying everything's going to be good, God's going to bless us, there's not any problems. This Jeremiah guy, you know, he's telling us that we're wicked and evil and, and God is bringing judgment. We don't like his message, and he's the only one giving us this message so therefore he must be wrong because the majority is going to be right and this is the problem with that idea that the majority is is right and this is where they're at and then jeremiah goes give heed o lord uh, to me o lord and hearken unto the voice of them that contend against me he goes god hear them hear these people that are against me now he could have also been able to say Hear them, hear them to contend against you because he is speaking God's word, but he is getting a little bit of a pity party here. 
You know, and I can understand that. I probably would win in his place too, because every time I open my mouth, I get, I get uh, beat or cast into prison or chased out or, or criticized. I probably might get into the same kind of woe is me mentality that he's into. Um, and then it says, shall evil be recompensed for good? God, do you endorse this evil when all I'm doing is what you want me to do? Now, this is a problem all of us face, you know, in, in our world faces. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a question that everybody always asks. You know, and, and I've often said to people, you know, the first thing to ask about that question, it's the wrong question because there's no good people in this world. So the real question is, why do good things happen to all of us bad people? Because if we got what we deserved, we'd be in trouble. So I'm glad that God does not recompense people for their but that's beside the point on this question Jeremiah is going God I'm speaking for you why is bad stuff happening to me now the funny thing is God told him at the beginning of the book that, that he was going to make him like brass and like iron and nobody was going to be able to, to, to bring him down because he was going to speak his words but the emotion still, I mean, have you ever been in a place where you've just been worn down? You know you're right. You know you're standing up for the right. And you just keep getting attacked and keep getting attacked and keep getting attacked and keep getting attacked. And it wears you down. Even if you don't fall, it wears you out. You emotionally start to suffer. And this is where Jeremiah is right now. He's just emotionally suffering at this point. God, I keep saying what you're saying, and they just keep coming at me with all these attacks. And I can almost hear him say, God, can't, won't at least one listen to me? I almost picture Noah saying the same thing, preaching for 120 years. God, can just at least one respond? Just one? Yeah, this is a problem that we have sometimes is we forget that it's in God's hands. You know, we water, we plant seeds, we water... And we may not ever get to see the person get saved from that, from that process. And maybe somebody else down the road gets to save them. We don't even know who they are. You know, maybe we're the one that gets to, to, to reap a harvest for something somebody else planted many years ago. You know, my dad was prayed for for 32 years by my great-grandmother that he would get saved. She did not get to save him, but she got to pray for him and, and plant seeds whenever she could. But she was really happy when he got saved. Are we the same way? Our job is to plant seeds and water seeds. And maybe every once in a while we get to actually reap the harvest of the seeds. And, I've, I, and I understand how you can be jealous, when, especially when you planted you, somebody you really love and you planted that seed, you planted the seed, you planted the seed. And you know, I, I told God I was going to be really, really selfish. I wanted to lead all four of my kids to the Lord. Yeah, I did not want somebody in Sunday school to be the one leading them to the Lord. I did not want somebody, even the pastor of the church, being the one that got to lead them to the Lord. I wanted to be selfish. And in this particular case, God gave me my desire. Yeah, I wanted to be the one that, that was the one that reaped that award. Now, would I have been happy if they got saved in, in Sunday school or at church? Yes, I still would have been very excited they got saved. But I was very selfish. I wanted, the, I wanted that pleasure. You know, now, looking back, it probably wasn't the greatest prayer that I ever, <laughs> ever uttered in my life. 
but it was a selfish desire. I didn't want anybody else to have that blessing to be able to lead my children to the Lord. Now, the only thing that I have regretted is that I didn't baptize my children when they were young. I got to baptize Samuel Sunday but on a second baptism, but I, I didn't baptize my children because most of the churches did not allow that to, to it. I've actually worked with many of the churches that I've been part of and saying, you know, if a father wants to baptize their children, there is absolutely no reason why their father shouldn't be able to baptize their children. And actually had put it in place a couple of times. You know, even, even not being a pastor, I'm going, there's no reason why a father can't baptize their children. It would be a great honor. And I've always thought that that would be true. And so how do we reach out? Here, here we have him saying, God will, evil be recompensed for good. They have dug a pit for my soul. Remember, I stood before you to speak good for them and to turn away their, your wrath from them. So they are digging pits. They want me to fall. And God, remember, all I did was tell them your good news. All right? I gave them the good news. I told them to repent. Now, the only problem with repenting is you have to tell them the bad side that there's something to repent, you know, some judgment to follow. How do we preach the gospel message? Well, we have great news. They don't have to die for their sins. What's the bad news? First, we need to tell them that they're going to die before their sins because of their sins. So there's this bad news to be able to have good news. And the good news doesn't mean anything without the bad news. So he's telling them they're going to repent. And all they hear is not the repent, God loves you part. They hear, you know, you're going to be destroyed. And we as Christians oftentimes are told that, you know, all you guys talk about is hell and judgment and, and fury. And they go, you know, and we go, well, no, I talk about heaven and, and forgiveness and Jesus being the way. All you're hearing is judgment. But, you know, it's very interesting how many human beings have a huge problem with selective hearing. Now, many wives will tell, tell their husbands, you, guys, you only hear what you want to hear, and that may be true <laughs> in some cases. But, you know, we have to be careful about, are we hearing everything or just the part we want to hear? The disciples, and I've said this many times, the disciples, when Jesus would speak, anytime he spoke about the coming kingdom, oh, wonderful, this is great. Every time he talked about the kingdom of heaven, oh, this is wonderful, this is great. Anytime he talked about dying on the cross and being resurrected three days later, it was like, don't know what you're talking about. That does not compute. We do not, we don't recognize that the selective hearing they had, and it wasn't until after the resurrection that they started really remembering Oh, he said this, and now look at this. Now he's resurrected, and he's going to live forever in this body, and it's our hope that we now will be resurrected with him. And they started really understanding the glory of what he said. People were not recognizing the glory of what Jeremiah has been saying. Because he says, I repeated, I, I told them of the good and how to turn from your wrath, God, and now they are digging pits for me. They want, they want to take my life. They want to punish me. And notice what Jeremiah says, I gave them a good message, a message of hope, a, he a message of redemption. But what did they hear? Nothing but judgment. And we need to understand when we are being judged by people, we probably, now we're human beings, we may have said something wrong, but more often than not, we did not necessarily say anything wrong to make them mad at us. 
We just brought God into the situation. We spoke a little bit of truth and probably, hopefully, brought in the good news of salvation. But what do they hear? The judgment side of things. What you're doing is wrong. And that's all they hear. And they stop listening at that point. Have you ever had somebody trying to help you by giving you a critique of something you're doing wrong? Where do most of us stop listening? As soon as they say, well, this was wrong, we stop listening as they try to build up where, you know, how it could have been better or, or what should have been done. And our defenses go up, our hackles go up, and we do not listen anymore. That's where these, this is where the world is. When we bring God into it, they stop listening to any of the good news, unless the Holy Spirit is working on their heart. But they will get defensive and get, you just said, you just said my lifestyle is sin. God's going to judge it. I'm, this is my lifestyle. This is who I am. I'm not going to listen to anything else you have to say. Even when you say that Jesus loves you, he died on the cross, he wants to give you, come into your life and, and help you live his way, they don't hear anything out because they are stuck on the judgment side of things. And we need to be careful. We need to speak in love. I mean, many times we don't speak in love. But even when we do speak in love, people are going to get, re get their hackles up and say, uh-uh, not interested. Not interested in anything you have to say because you just said whatever, whatever my favorite sin is is, a, is terrible to God. And this is not going to work well. And his, this is what Jeremiah says. He goes, uh, and to turn away from your wrath. And then verse 21, Therefore deliver up your children to famine, or their children to famine, and pour out their blood by the force of the sword, and let their wives be bereaved of their children and be widows, and let their men be put to death, let their young men be slain by the sword in battle. When you want to talk about a precatory prayer, <laughs> this is about as strong as you can get. Now, David loved precatory prayers. Jeremiah seems to like a precatory prayer here. God, they have mistreated me, so go get them. Now, I've said this before. Even though the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is full of precatory prayers, I do not believe that we as Christians should be praying precatory prayers. Why? One thing I know is if you touch God's people, God's going to go get them. He doesn't need me praying for them. I want to show them love and kindness and let God be God. You know, God said that he will revenge. He will be the one that restores. Our job is to love our enemies, do good to those who despitefully use us. And I've seen it happen over and over where God has defended his children. And... Now, I know a man, and I've mentioned him before, he attacked a pastor. The, the head deacon and I went to him, and we told him, you, there is no reason to be attacking this pastor. He's a good man, and you're touching God's anointed. You need to stop, and he did not. He ended up getting divorced, losing his health, losing two of his children, and losing his job. I personally believe it's because he did not, number one, he touched God's anointed, and number two, did not respond to to godly counsel and advice. I have seen other men who did the same thing. He harmed one of God's children and lost his business, lost his, lost his family, lost everything. God defends his children. And I don't have to ask God to do so. And, you know, and we need to be careful. My whole heart is not to rejoice when somebody falls into, into this kind of penalty. I get heartbroken for it. 
Because one of the things I've noticed, listen to the two examples that I gave you. It wasn't just the person who got hurt. They lost their, their, their health, their family's health. They lost their family. They lost businesses. What gets up happening is not just the individual who does it gets hurt. And this is something that is critical. I don't want to pray, or pray a precatory prayer on somebody because somebody else is going to get hurt. And in this case, he's asking for it. You know, God, take their children. Take their husbands. Take their fathers. You know, you, God, you just make them totally 100% miserable. I don't know that this is a great prayer. <laughs> it's in the Bible. It is what he prayed. But I don't know that this is a great prayer to be praying towards somebody. Uh, especially not for us as Christians. And, uh, but this is Jeremiah's prayer. And it comes from the pain that he's feeling. He's been by himself. He does not have a church body to support him. He's, he's been by himself. He's a lone voice out there right now. And he's suffering. And here they are ready to kill him. You know, because we're toward the end. You know, this is toward the end of the time that he's preaching. And they're ready to kill him. And he's very, very weary. He's tired of it all. And we need to be careful because it's easy to get tired of serving God sometimes, especially if we feel like nobody's on our side. Remember when Elijah told God, 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 I'm tired of your servant. I'm the only one that's worshiping you. And God says, I've got thousands who haven't bent their knees. You just go do what I told you to do. You know, and there's always a remnant out there. We may not be in touch with that remnant. We may not be working with that remnant. But there's always a remnant. And we do need to tie ourselves with whatever remnant we can be, be with. And right now in America, there's a small remnant of Christians that are out in this country. There's a lot of people that say they're Christians, but they don't believe the word of God. They will not let God speak to them. And I'm not going to say they're not a Christian, but they sure don't act like Christians. All right. Uh, and there's many churches that don't preach the Bible out there. And that's even sadder. They're not preaching the word of God, not stepping out. And that's between them and God. It's not my job to judge any of those pastors. But if I was in one of those churches, I wouldn't be there very long. Uh, I would want to hear God's word preached and taught. And how often did Jesus say and do things that the multitude would abandon him because he said something that they didn't, they didn't understand and they found hard? Everything about church growth tells you, well, don't tell people anything controversial. Well, the only thing about it is my whole Bible is full of controversy. <laughs> now, it tells me that sin is sin, which is going to be controversial in our day and age. It tells me that Jesus is the, the way, the one and only way toward God. That is controversial. So for me to not cause controversy, I would have to preach from some other book. I have no idea what book I'd try to preach out of, but I'd have to pre preach out of some other book because this book is going to cause dissension. Jesus told them, do you think that I came to bring peace? He came, I came to bring dissension. And this is what happens when somebody believes in Jesus. And when you think back, when you first got saved, how much dissension was in your family when you first got saved? Now, if, especially if you were the only one. Now, if you were one of the last in the line that got saved, it wasn't so bad. But then, in that case, think back to the first one that got saved. How much dissension did they bring? Now, everybody goes to the Christmas, you know, the Christmas family party, and they want to get drunk. 
and all of a sudden you get saved and you go, no, I can't get drunk this year. I'm a Christian now. I'm not going to get drunk. Oh, you holier than thou person, you know, and there's all these problems. All the stuff that you used to do with the family that was okay is now not okay, and they're going to, it causes division. And eventually some of the others get saved and brings brings out a whole whole different process. Uh, And it's, hopefully that more and more get saved. And that's what happened in my family. More and more people got saved. And it was a wonderful experience. For two years, nobody else in my family was saved except for me. I got to go to church one day a week when the church bus picked me up. When my dad got saved two years later, that was the greatest thing in the world for me because my dad is a lot like me. He does everything at 110%. So he got saved and we were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday morning for visitation and all the other stuff going on. And every time the doors were open, we were in church and I was in heaven. Because I could go to church once in a while, you know, rather than just once a week. Now, my poor brother and sister, they got drugged to church all the time, and they did not like it. <laughs> you know, uh, I, was in, I was in heaven. I could now go to church. But do you understand how following God can also cause problems in the family? And this is why God says, do not be unequally yoked. Because the hardest thing in the, for anybody is to be one person a strong Christian, another one not caring about God at all. How do you have fellowship with somebody of that nature that has no desire to follow God? And it's very critical. And unfortunately, because we are sinful beings, we tend to fall rather than pull the other one up. And almost every time I've seen an unequally yoked marriage or relationship, the Christian falls down to the the level of the non-Christian. Very rarely does a Christian get pulled up to the level of Christianity. And they can't anyway without becoming a Christian, but it doesn't work very well. And so we need to be very careful about that. How is it that we live? What is the example that we bring? And be able to, live, to work with this. Verse 22 says, Let the cry be heard from their homes, or their houses, when you shall bring a troop suddenly upon them, for they have dug a pit to take me, and hid snares for my feet. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. He says, God, they have dug pits and put traps in front of me, so you send an army to go get them. Yeah, that does not sound like a very godly attitude to, mar- to, to, to you know, as far as I'm concerned. To go, you know, God, uh, they, they've set some traps for me, they, they, you know, but I want you to send an entire army to go get them. Let the cries be heard from them when this army comes and gets them. Now, the sad thing is, I know that God does this. God will protect his children. And there's been times when I've looked at somebody who has been judged by God. And I've even asked God, God, did it really take that much judgment upon them for what they did? Now, the answer obviously is yes, otherwise God would not have done it. But I have seen people's lives totally shredded for, for, for seemingly simple arguments and problems but granted, you know, Jeremiah is really being suffering emotionally, spiritually from all of this, maybe even in physical pain from the prison imprisonments and being cast into the cisterns and all the stuff that he was done. So there's some physical pain, but he's getting emotional suffering. And that emotional suffering can eat somebody up. And I've heard this so many times, and I've said it many times for us. How many times can we, even at our day, think of something that was said to us as a child that still bothers us. 
Maybe we've gotten over it mostly, but when we think about it, it still brings up pain in our, in our mind and our thoughts. And it happened, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And you still remember the pain of that, the, those words. There are many very wealthy, successful businessmen and women who were told by their father or their mother, you will never amount to anything. And what do they hear every time that people say, oh, you're so successful? Mom and dad have never said I'm successful and they're proud of me, so I'm not successful enough yet. Because they said I'd never amount to anything. And they still have not said that I've amounted to anything, so I have got to keep trying to do more and better. This is a sad thing. Little things like that can really drive us to go above and beyond anything that's needed because we're trying to live down something that was said, especially by a parent or a grandparent that we really honored and everything, and they did not say something positive to us. We need to be very careful that we express that positive. And for us as, as fathers and, and, and parents, we need to go to our kids once in a while and say, you know, I'm really proud of where you've come. I, I think you're doing a good job. And encourage them because they need to hear that. Because I can tell you, I've probably sent it myself sometime. You know, I don't believe that you did that. How could you have been so stupid to done, done something like that? Uh, I'm, I can be very caustic at times, and I probably have said things like that to my children and need to be able to go back to them and say, you know, hey, you're, you're doing a good job. I'm proud. I'm proud of what you're doing. And we need to be able to work these things out because these emotional pains can be really hard. And Jeremiah, I mean, this is quite hard. He goes, God, they've set traps for me. Go get them. Send an entire tro- a troop or an army against them. That's a lot of judgment that he wants to be brought down to them because of their attack on him. Now, remember, this attack has been constant in his lifetime. You know, we're toward the end of his, end of his time. They're getting ready to go into captivity. He's been, he's been, he's been teaching for four kings. And he's toward the end of this. And he's getting a little tired of being attacked every time he opens his mouth. And nobody's been responding to him, apparently. All right? And he says, God, just go get him. I'm tired, I'm tired of all this. Go get him. Verse 23 says, Yet, Lord, you know all their counsels against me to slay me. Forgive not their iniquities, neither blot out their sin from your sight, but let them be overthrown before you. Deal thus with them in the time of your anger. Now this is kind of an interesting thing. Who's the one that's angry here is Jeremiah and he goes, God, in your anger, go get them. All right. Now he's been talking about how God is going to judge their sin and everything. So he's got a little bit of footing to stand on. But what's he talking about? He's not talking about their sin toward God right now. He's talking about their sin toward him. You know, God... You know their counsel against, not you, against me. This is, right now, Jeremiah's in a selfish pity party. Now, it's understandable. Don't get me wrong. It's understandable. It's human nature for him to do so. But he is very much saying, God, I'm the one in pain now. I want you to go get them. God, go take care of them because I don't deserve this treatment and God, you need to go get them in your anger, even though I'm the one that's angry at them. All right? Uh, and, you know, he says, God, you know, you know their counsels. 
Now, in this case, he's probably very, very sure that they have, they're talking about things he hasn't even heard of yet, which is probably true. Now, he has some knowledge of the plots they are making against him, but how much does he not know about their plots? And this is going to be something true. No matter what we think we know, there's always more to it. But we also need to be careful about that. More often than not, I'll hear somebody go, well, I'm really mad at that person. They said such and such. I'm going, did they? I, I heard them say this. Yeah, but I know what they meant. I know what they meant. I know they said what you heard, but this is what they meant. I'm going, oh my goodness, you're a mind reader. You know, what am I thinking about right now? <laughs> you know, but how much trouble do we get into when we put motive and desire on somebody else? You know, think about how many times somebody has said that you meant something and you're going, I didn't say anything like that. I wasn't even thinking anything like that. And yet they'll throw motive at us and say, well, I know what you meant. You really meant this. I go, no, I just said you look good. I know you were saying I look bad normally and, it, you know, and it's getting really crazy these days. You can't even tell somebody they look good because then they go, well, I don't look good normally. Yeah. And I've had people actually say that. You mean, you mean, well, you must say I'm not looking good. So you, you're, you're, look how negative you are. You know, and it's kind of scary anymore at how far people are. And this is, you know, Jeremiah is putting a little bit of motive behind them and saying, God, I know they have so much more. You know, you know all of their thoughts. I know what they're saying, but, you know, you know that they want more. And it probably was true, but still, we got to be very careful about that. Because I've had so many people go, you know, when, when I'm counseling, well, my, my spouse said such and such. And I go, oh, that's not too bad. Yeah, but this is what they really meant. I'm going, how do you know? Well, because I've known them for a long time. I'm going, could you not just accept what they said and as, as the compliment that it was rather than trying to turn it around to something negative? You know, and it's very interesting how many times people will say something and it gets blown out of proportion because somebody reads into a whole lot more. And it may not even have been nice. <laughs> Jeremiah's hearing all kinds of things that aren't nice and he's blowing them up even further than that. All right? So we need to be very careful as we go about this and be able to look at people with the love of God in our heart. And I've said this every time I talk about precatory prayers. I mean, I'm not going to say we can't give precatory prayers because nowhere in the Bible have I ever read, thou shalt not give a precatory prayer. But I can tell you, Jesus said that we're to love our enemies, we're to do good to those to despitefully use, use us, and a precatory prayer is not fitting into that rule. All right? Now, I know my heart to time has said, God, go get them, you know, yeah, and I know that that's a desire that I have sometimes. God, you know, this person's being so mean. Can you just go take care of them because I'm tired of them? That's a precatory prayer. Maybe not quite as bad as this one, but that's a precatory prayer. God, I'm tired of them. Go get them. I don't really like it when I, when I catch myself doing that. And then I'm going, God, I really didn't mean that. You know, I'm sorry. You know, teach me to love them. Teach me to be able to love and care for that person in spite of what they're saying and doing. And you know what? It's not very easy. I very teasingly said Jesus gave us a very easy assignment to love our enemies and, and do good to those that, that uh, use us bad, poorly. That goes against everything about our flesh. We don't like having to bless somebody that's mean to us. We don't like being nice to somebody who's being mean to us. And yet God says that's what we are to do. 
And they were going, well, God, who's going to take care of them? And God says, I will. If we can just learn to let God be our defense, we're going to be better off. And this is not the easiest thing in the world. I've learned pretty much to do it over my lifetime. Let God be my defender. And people, and I've even had people go, how are you letting that person talk to you that way? I go, because God will take care of it. My job is just to be kind to them and be nice to them. God is my defense. He is our strong tower. The righteous run into him and they are safe. Do we run into God and let God be our defender? He will treat them just whatever they need to be able to come to him. If I try to, one of the things I have learned over the years is when I try to defend myself, I usually mess it up. Almost always mess it up if I try to defend myself. If I just relax and let God be my defender, people get saved, people turn to Christ. Maybe they get totally judged. I've seen that happen too. But I've also seen them come to Christ because of just letting God be the defender. And if they come to Christ, that's even better. And now I've got a brother or sister. And I don't have an enemy anymore. And that's a wonderful thing. If they come to Christ, then we've got family and it's not that big a deal. If they don't come to Christ, then he judges them and punishes them and, and God is still doing and I'm and I'm there to try to love them in case they, in case they need, need help. And then they look at you like, how can you be here being nice to me when all, when all I was was bad? Because that's what God has called me to do. You know, and this is something for each one of us that we need to be looking at. Are we going to let God be our defender? Or are we going to go into a precatory prayer and say, God, go get them? I don't believe that's a Christian point of view. Now, I've heard pastors teach all about precatory prayers and say, go, go get them. Prayers are, are, are good. But I think they go against what Jesus said. That's my personal opinion. And I think that God wants us to love and just let him get them if they need it. And I just let God be my defender. And I've watched him go get people. And I've got to be very careful when he goes to get my enemy that I don't get happy about what he's done to them. And most of the time I don't. Most of the time I'm very sad because I'm not so sad that he went after the person that was mean to me, but I'm sad that their family suffered in, in the process. That bothers me. If they could have been just them, I probably would have been happy. Okay, God, they got what they deserved, but man, God, their, their, their spouse got hurt, their kids got hurt. That's not good. Their employees, if they owned a company, got hurt. And it's like, that does, that does not make me excited. And that's the problem when we call down prayers like this. We're not just calling it on the person. We're calling it on everybody that's associated with that person. And to me, that's a problem. You know, and Jeremiah was really bad at it. He says, God, go get them, their whole family. Just take out their whole families. Not just the people they're doing, I mean, but take their children, take their husbands, take their, you know, and let it be brutal. You know, let them die in the streets from the sword. Let, you know, let them die of famine. Let all these things happen. You know, he was being very brutal with no love for even the collateral damage on these precatory prayers. And believe me, I understand this. There is collateral damage. Now, obviously, God knows what he's doing, but it is hard for me to look and see all the other people that suffer when God targets somebody. Because even if he just takes and kills the person, that's still a loss of life and a loss, loss to the children, lost income, whatever. 
even when that happens, there's still a great loss, even if they, they didn't receive any other damage in the process. My prayer is, God, I want to love them. Now, I'm not perfect at it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm, I've learned pretty much to just say, God, help me love them, and you do whatever it takes to get the hold of them, but I'm going to love them. And I think this is important for us to not fall into this precatory prayer, but to show love to enemies, show kindness to those who are not being nice to us. And believe me, I'm the first one to admit, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy to do. It takes God doing it from us, from the inside out, and staying focused on Him. Because that is what is most important, is staying focused and watching Him work out. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They, do, they know not what they've done. Stephen, as he's being stoned, says, Father, forgive them. Can that be our prayer? Forgive those who are drastically hurting us. Now, it's not easy. Stephen loved them so much, he's saying, God, I want you to just forgive them. Jesus on the cross, forgive them. You know, over and over again, we see this forgive. Forgive those that are bringing harm. And I think it's a very important thing for us. How do we react to all of this? And I think it's important for us to be praying and God, to God, God, teach me to forgive and love and trust you to be my, my avenger. And the good news is, God is the perfect avenger. You know, he is going to do just the amount that is needed to, to, to get their attention. He is going to, maybe it means taking them home, maybe it means killing them, I don't know. that, But he's going to know what needs to be done to bring our defense. And our job is just to hide in him. Say, God, God uh, I'm just going to hide. You, you, you take all the abuse that's coming my way, you take all the attacks, I'm just hiding in you. Teach me to love, and God, you be the aggressor as needed. Not trying to tell him what to do, not trying to tell him how. One of our problems as Christians on our prayers is how many times, and I've done this myself, do we tell God, God, I want this to happen. And by the way, God, this would be a really good way for it to happen. God, uh, here's what I want, and let me tell you how I think it could really be. God, I really need this money. You know, I think if you put it on this heart of somebody over here that I know this, they've got money, just give it on their heart to, to give it to me, and I'll be okay. And that's not the way God, God works. One of the things I've had to learn over the years is God never asked for me to be his advisor. Uh, times I've asked him and, and tried to give him advice, but he's never asked me to be his advisor. And if you've ever had anybody trying to give you advice that you have not asked to be your advisor, you don't listen to them. Even if it's good advice, you don't listen to them because you didn't ask them to be your advisor. And the big news is God doesn't need an advisor. He knows everything from the beginning to the end anyway. There's nothing I can add to his, his knowledge. Nothing I can add to his uh, plan because he has a perfect plan because he knows the beginning from the end. And I don't even know, I don't even know what's going on now, much less you know, what, how it got there or where it's going. I may think that I do, but I need to learn just to relax and let God be God and just let him be my defender and just to love others and watch what he does. And I can tell you the times that I've watched what he does, it's amazing to watch how he defends. And I hope every one of you have been in a place where you've watched, where you've actually watched him defend. 
that he will defend us if we just stay quiet. And we do our job of loving and caring and ministering and then watch God. Now, sometimes it doesn't look like he's doing anything, but he moves. In his time, he moves, and he's always right on time. Lord, we ask you to be with us. Help us to always look to you and for, for our defense and, and teach us to trust you and to relax in you and just to be looking to you for everything and watching you be our protection. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.